0: Putting AI in the name is very cheap at the end of the day. Just yeah. because they're getting more clicks doesn't mean people are purchasing more, though.
1: Everyone, thank you so much for joining the Behind Company Lines podcast. Today we have Rakesh Yadav, CEO and founder of Adaptive. Adaptive's mission is to empower any size e-commerce or hospitality brand with the power of enterprise-grade machine learning Rakesh, I'm so excited to have you on the show, not only because of what you're doing with Adaptive and obviously AI, everything, everyone's talking about it. So we'll, we'll dive into some interesting topics, but you've been building machine learning for such a long time and you've had such a fruitful career with that type of technology. I'm so curious to see how it's evolved, where it's currently and almost the speed at which you're seeing new models being built. But before we get into all that good stuff, please tell the audience What were you doing before you started the company? Yeah, no, I I did a master, undergrad
0: India, master's in the US and then joined Google as first job. But uh, even during undergrad days, I always wanted to build up a company. While in Google, I wanted to build up the skill sets. So that is needed. So to increase the probability of success of the company. So that's why I think of my life in like three different phases. One is like first, like first 15 years where I built up, I mean the work life, where first 15 years, I built up the skill sets, Second 15 years, I'm going to leverage all of that. And then third 15 years, I'll see how I can contribute to like back to society, like some harder problems, like energy, healthcare, yeah. and things. Like this. So yeah, in Google, yeah. thankfully, I was lucky enough to be called as a textbook entrepreneur. So while, while I was still in Google and all the cushy job benefits and all that, I would still call, was getting called in after like first few years, once I became senior. To yeah. start zero to one projects. So, thankfully, we had created like fourteen projects in my fourteen years, and few of them, like eight of them, reached a billion plus ARR. When seven of them I killed without because I didn't see yeah. a path to success within six mm. to nine months. So that taught me a lot more. I mean, basically, I was building up my startup skills, like market, yeah, finding out market, how to come up with a strategy, three, five, ten year plan. How to address- Yeah,
1: and, and were you kind of coming up with the ideas on how to what, how to leverage machine learning or some piece of technology, or was it what in particular were you trying to essentially bring to market?
0: Yeah, so one of my most recent projects before I quit was uh, Ads' new machine learning uh, platform. So uh, the premise was prior to that I was leading a payments machine learning platform. So basically, the entire money movement that people are purchasing in Google, like from Android apps to buying Google Home devices to phones to YouTube subscriptions to everything, cloud buying cloud credits or whatever, all of that went through that payment system so that we identify fraud. And when like one yeah. one fifty billion is flowing through your system, like five three four percent fraud is actually a lot more significant. So yeah. thank you, we did great. But then I moved to ads and over there, the before setting up the ads ML platform, the main problem that I was handed off was how to increase the innovation cycle in the ML world of the ML application. Google ads uses ML all over the place yeah. because at that scale, you have to use a machine learning. And for an idea to reach production, it used to take like six to nine months. And that was like too slow for uh, yeah. our guest. So we set up a new team, we started building out new infrastructure with the North Star being, let's just see if I can get an idea to production in like a day.
1: I was going to ask, when you mean, when you talk about the innovation cycle, describe that a little bit more. W- what does that mean in in the language of machine learning?
0: Oh, as in like, let's say we have a new idea, which is uh, let's build out a new model to predict, uh, let's say Google Shopping, right? Like Google Shopping yeah. ads, you are looking at like all this inventory and we want to build a model to predict when an inventory will go out of stock. Partly because there's like weeks of delays of like merchants sending us data to Google and all of that. So we want to build out a model to make it more accurate. Yeah. So, so that so that is the business statement. But from there on, to actually build out a model to train all this data at Google Ads scale, which is like terabytes and petabytes of data. And yeah. then I have a model trained, evaluated, then put behind experiment and rammed up in production so that we can materialize that results. That end-to-end requires so many challenges yeah. that it is
1: like six to nine months. I wanted to reduce that like less than a day. But, and how do you start going about doing that? Is it building more sophisticated models? Is it breaking down its components and, and kind of, is it going, yeah, through each step to figure out how you can optimize it or connect or even skip steps? Where do you even start with thinking about how to decrease that, I mean, that time windows is uh, decreasing that amount of time from s- six to nine months to a day. I mean, that's incredibly fast or in an instance, it's incredibly fast. Where do you go about thinking about shortening that time? No.
0: So first thing you do is first thing is give a control plane to all model engineers. So one of the biggest challenges is model engineers are typically not like infra engineers, definitely not at like Google ad scale. And then yeah. uh, infra engineers typically are not like model engineers who don't understand the latest cutting edge modeling techniques. So even if a modeling technique would work in a offline where with like of training systems that even in Google, there were like plenty of training systems. TensorFlow being the most popular. one, A bunch of internal ones we probably didn't expose in open source yet. And we consolidated everything in TensorFlow. But with married systems and techniques, even if the model it performs and provides like decent lift, getting it to production and putting it in like production was like additional challenge in addition to like Yeah, the marketing challenge. So first thing you do is put out a control plane where you hide all of these uh, training systems and abstractions out. So that way, a research, ML researcher, if they are bringing up a new cutting edge technology, they have a very modular way of bringing that technology with all ads use cases. But then the ads products actually are operating on that product plane, the control plane, and they don't really, they just pick and choose which model or techniques they want to do. So that is the Infra control and then a model ML research coming together in like one unified platform. And then Uh there's like the textbook big big data challenges of like Google ads, trying to process like tens of terabytes of petabytes and exabytes of data for every payment. And then running it all every day in a scalable and monitoring fashion.
1: So those are the three big steps. It was fascinating thinking about where you've gone to with, with Adaptive. And because I've learned a little bit more about the company and Kind of understanding consumer data is a huge way that I, I think you, you've implemented this technology. And was traditionally that timeline you described earlier, was that what a lot of brands or e-commerce or hospitality companies, was Was that what they were facing as this model was continuously to build and build this profile? Were they seeing that type of, I guess, timeline with, with the technology that was existing?
0: Yeah, more than that timeline also, just to like many of the folks that since ml is such an ascent and constantly evolving field many of those folks don't have the ml talent in house also and even if they did yeah, they, they didn't know how to, to like evaluate them and what to really bet against so that's mm. the additional challenge in addition to like building out something and maintaining it and constantly running so that is the infra challenge and then there is like the business challenge where Market dynamics changes every day, like COVID taught us, right? Like every business had to adopt very quickly during COVID when COVID hit. That would mean gathering new set of data, training your existing model again, evaluating that this is performing well and then swapping it out in production. And and then also picking the right technique among like marriage of different techniques. Because yeah. like 20,000 ml algorithms and models and things are existing. Over, and which one applies yeah. to the business? Really. So all of that actually increases the timeline beyond like six to nine months. Even if they can get it done, like keeping it up and running is also a constant effort.
1: I was thinking one thing you just said is, is applying ML to the right type of business model, the right learning model or the right machine learning model for the business. How, how, do, how do you do that? <laughs> how, what are the different models that are available? Is there an index that people use Are certain professionals kind of pre- prefer others? I've learned a lot about this. There is this whole research component that goes into machine learning and then it gets adopted. Where is that index that are we able to access or just machine learning professionals? Who goes about and does that matchmaking process?
0: Yeah, so if someone is like, let's say while we were in Google, we would look at all different techniques and which will apply to the given use cases because you have to understand all of these different techniques. That's part of your research job. But as part of adaptive, and if someone is adaptive client, we really, all the research and everything else gets happens on the adaptive side. versus our customers get like very stable product APIs, like recommendation search. And then depending on like individual customers, data shape and patterns among like uh, like 20 models, the best one gets picked right, through like a automated yeah. experiment system. So we basically, like no humans can pick something. We just let the best one gets picked automatically. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, send up. it. it de- wow. So yeah, not only have you automated that process and made sure that's completely streamlined, but then now this whole kind of almost immediate consumer profile that you're building, how is that accomplished? Because, because no one has done anything yet. If I go to a new e-commerce website, or if I go to a hotel, I haven't necessarily given the system anything to reference prior. So how is that made possible?
0: Yeah, while you say you, don't ha- you haven't given anything, technically we still have like device types, IP address, you have a geolocation. Yeah. And then as you keep clicking, browsing through like hotels or products, each of those are actually building profile. So what we have done is we, uh, like the recommendations and search is our own widget as well. So we can mm-hmm. actually collect all the data that we want our training system. So we don't depend on cookie or anything, third party which is which gives us like next level of independence and after that then we do really cohorts even if we don't know enough we just do a cohorts of like this customer is like for example you are from new york right now who used to live in la in the past because your previous ip was from la sure so that and then you have like high ltv versus rakesh as like low ltv like low purchasing power and yeah. you we both prefer black t-shirts O- over time based on as you click through products, we can build out that you're only looking at like male t-shirts. So there, there's there's a different base yeah. based gets built out. And then based on those cohorts, we identify in the known purchase, known customer cohorts, somebody who's like the cohort which is similar to this. And then we smear those kind of recommendations over to this unknown cohort. Yeah. And that's where I think, that's where the holy grail is at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's almost like a comparable when somebody comes in and you can match them and and what is this? Obviously, it allows companies to offer the more specific accommodations, this, this hospitality. But what does it mean in, in regards to the additional offerings that companies are able to then do? Because I feel like a lot of the promotions or a lot of these things that companies do, they're not necessarily landing with the consumer as much as they used to. And it seems like the consumer needs have shifted, but a lot of companies haven't shifted their offerings. Yeah, that's where we actually trade. Because the, the consumer
0: buying behavior changes, inventory changes, like the rest of the world is constantly adapting. So that's why we keep changing, uh, we, we keep adapting our models on daily slash weekly basis based on the cons- uh, based on how much data a customer has. And hence the name adaptive. Right. But the, the key point though is for a given, given consumer pattern at the end of the day, we really can pinpoint, we can really adapt very quickly like matter of days slash weeks
1: to any changing right. behavior. Yeah, yeah. And then what kind of offerings do you see and anything that surprised you and how they've utilized the data and the information that that you collected and and presented?
0: Yeah, yeah. So in addition to like the textbook products, which is like recommendations, search and audiences, in addition to that, we also have like foundational things like how I was saying, like purchasing power, LTV for every user of our clients. We compute all of that and then we give that. So one customer was a very creative in the sense that they use our LTV for every customer that we generate. And then they actually personalize the buyer experience or even customer tech support. What I mean by that yeah. is like higher LTV will go in this separate phone support, which will have like less than five second wait time. And that the mid and lower LTV will go in the other pool. So that way the higher LTV yeah. gets like premium support. So that was like very good innovative use case of our foundational tech, which we didn't think about. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I, I I wouldn't have thought about that either, but that makes so much sense, just getting to the more, I guess, more ready buyers, right, immediately and supporting them. I mean, I, I think that any company would say, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. Yeah. But it's so fascinating to think about the, like, continuous ways that, that companies can still adopt your technology. Anything that you say maybe hasn't been adopted yet that, that you'll think is on the horizon?
0: Yeah, so, for example... In ways that have uh, Yeah, so, for example... Search is a very commonly used term, but when you are searching for a shirt on apparel site versus when I'm searching for a shirt on apparel side, it should be highly personalized. It should not be just like text-based, like matches on the entire skew. It should have like my intent, my persona, like not just my persona, but also like, if I'm about to, if, if I'm purchasing for a business trip versus if I'm purchasing about to go for a hike, a vacation on a beach. That is the intent as well. So, and this ultimate level of personalizing that entire search results, I think we are in the very early phase of that. And there's like a lot of leeway where we can really
1: improve them. And
0: of course, the revenue of the customer, but more importantly, the entire
1: purchasing experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of people, I, I, this has been said on the show before, but you know, everybody's kind of craving this up-to-date kind of consumer experience, no matter what the product is. And and now it's almost standardized to have that kind of really facilitate experience. And if you're not, you're not competitive. One thing that really kind of came to mind, thinking about the way the technology is used, why hospitality? You know, what? why hospitality and, and why is it like certain models work really well for hospitality? So you want to double down in that direction. I was trying to figure it out and and on my own but i'm curious why hospitality that why do you think this industry has such an ability to benefit from this technology yeah so we really just sell the same three products on both verticals
0: and then we'll keep adding verticals just that the entire modeling and what and the survey and the data schema and knowledge graph behind it to understand changes completely on a per vertical but everybody needs a recommendation if they are selling something, a recommendation engine, everybody needs a search, which is highly personalized. Everybody wants to understand their customer base with like all of this different colors, like taste, purchasing power, propensity to purchase, all of that. So by design, I've always wanted to pick one more vertical because in the background, we are really building, again, that end-to-end ML platform. Like so far, our own model and infra-engineers are its users. While we are selling product, we are really building the end-to-end ML platform, which we can open it up to developers tomorrow. And to keep uh-huh. it generic and to keep it honest, that's why we always need more than one vertical. Otherwise, it will end up becoming like an e-com platform. And then my really? hospitality specifically was like uh, through just my network. One of the first, one of the first customers was in the hospitality industry. So I was like, hey, do you, are you interested in this? And they're like, yeah, why not? So it like, sounds good. Technically, we recently got into like boating business as well. We are in the early SA phase. Yeah. again, our network. Like word of mouth, they came to us and like, yeah, of course, if you need recommendations, sure, search. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's
1: interesting because it seems like adaptive is really just a, a really valuable tool in the pursuit of whatever these companies are trying to do, deliver value to their customers. And I, and that's a really unique position because it, it's almost like as you progress and as you're, you're incentivized and your consumers are both incentivized by the same thing, it's, it's not very common with when companies can find that unique business model. So, you know, now that you've been building Adaptive, you're working with a few different industries, verticals, focusing on some. Describe not only the traction you've seen thus far, but also where do you go from here? What direction does Adaptive go? Yeah, so uh,
0: three, 10-year plan. So three-year plan was to build out these products and then extract, have a GTM motion going with like a good product market fit plus mm-hmm. at least one, two verticals that's what we are focused on. We are in like a we just finished. We are a two-year-old company so this is the third year. Five-year is like a scale all of that up so that we can keep adding to the entire e-com funnel so we keep adding to the suite mm-hmm. yeah. and then also we, the other dimension to scale up is not just US, North America but go EU way back, all of those.
1: Yeah.
0: The 10-year plan though is once these verticals are up and running and we have like a platform then actually open that up and then we become one of the hopefully easiest to use, well-contained end-to-end ML platform in the world that yeah. will allow the developers to bridge it. So that's a 10-year
1: plan. Yeah. Well, it's amazing to think about it becoming leverageable by developers because I feel like a lot of, there just it opens up capabilities for companies to adopt the technology and Does that mean these new, will will these developers have to learn anything new to be able to use these types of pieces of technology? If I was a machine learning developer now and I'm looking at this, I'm like, what am I going to have to know to be able to use a platform like this or other tools to be able to make myself not only competitive, but, you know, uplift my company or boost whatever piece of product technology or bring something to the table? What do I have to learn? What do I have to know?
0: Yeah. So the control plane where you're controlling the training as well as production, model in production or like the inference API. That control plane will be the only thing new. But in the background, for example, for trainer, we still, we still support like TensorFlow and PyTorch. And then for like having it in serving, we again support like TensorFlow Lite and serving. And we do have some graph mining techniques as well. So all of this will be uh, like standard things, which are well known for uh, researchers. Just that there'll be a control plane where all of this is like in a well controlled, hopefully easy to use UX. We'll see Mm -hmm. how we can (laughs) update that. And then... uh, also, we'll handhold so that the places where people shoot themselves in the foot, like, for example, training, serving skew, like, all of those will be inbuilt already. So, there'll be, like, a lot of checks and balances in place.
1: What do you view as some, some of the biggest risks to adaptive today?
0: Yeah, so, one of the, I mean, there are plenty. It's a two-year-old startup. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I mean, the biggest one, of course, is, like, my, like, a bunch of us are ex-Googlers and my buddies. But if a bunch of us leave, that's probably the biggest one. Hopefully, that never happens. But the, the second, second biggest is in terms of just business side. I think in the e-com world, we have been talking about personalization for like two three decades now, and a lot of these uh, sellers have been bought by vendors who talk yeah, AI ML, no. but they don't really do like real AI ML. So the results yeah. are like underwhelming. So they like because Adaptive doesn't have a big brand presence, they actually are not more cautious to like use yeah. someone like us. But that just increases. That just gives us a little bit of a headwind. Thankfully, we are working through that by just saying that, hey, how about you use us for free if you don't deliver value? Uh, uh, no yeah. harm done. Just getting, uh, we want to build like 10-year-old, like 10-year-long relationships at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, not like yeah. just make money, move on.
1: If everything goes well, what do you view adaptive for it becoming? What does the company become long-term? I know you mentioned a 10-year plan, but yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I, at least Adaptive. So the platform play is what we, is the Jarvis ML, which is the original name. So that will, so that, so that's why you'll see adaptive powered by Jarvis ML. So that will get opened up later. But on the adaptive side, ideally we have like very well contained intelligent products, which are very easy to launch and integrate. So that way people can leverage uh, power of AI. Basically AI is currently limited to like 1% 1% of the companies and rest of the folks are not like leveraging it well enough. So the uh, the yeah. main premise is that we want to democratize the access to machine learning and leverage its power to generate revenue. the uh, rest of the business owners, yeah. while, while hiding all the complexities of the latest buzzwords, like Gen AI, how does it help my business? Like, I don't think yeah. many refill can answer for their, for their own business. But thankfully, Adaptive hopefully will have like suite of products which will answer that, like, for e-com, Gen AI could be used to generate titles and descriptions, have better understanding of like the images that you're using and give you feedback that this image performs better. This, this type of descriptions performs better. Uh, mm-hmm. They understand the consumer behavior a lot better. So that way you can invest in this. Like so your consumer patterns have shifted. Are your marketing strategies yeah. shifting? So at the end of the day, we want to be like uh, the intelligent partner to help the business grow revenue
1: and constantly yeah. adapt changing world dynamics. Yeah. This next section, I, I love this next section. I call my founder FAQ. So I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire questions and uh, we'll see what we get. So yeah, yeah. The first question I always like to open it up with is what's particularly hard about your job day to day?
0: A lot of it is actually the context switches, which is from like legal meeting to like operations. We are in three countries to like then some model questions about some model underperforming then to like infrastructure then some fire about like Tax or accounting, I think that context switches is just—it's not for everybody. Yeah, uh, and then I, I kept, I made it probably a little more complicated by keeping it in three countries. So yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You, you mentioned um, the the idea behind real AI and describe that because I was I was actually listening to one of the podcasts that's on your website and and they were talking about this concept between real and branded and I hadn't really considered what that meant and also what it meant for. Me say if I was a company purchasing a product of either way, please describe it for our audience.
0: Yeah, definitely. So the, putting AI in the name is very cheap at the end of the day. But then actually identifying among the married list of technologies, which one fits the business. So for example, one technique which fits the business on apparel might not be the same for like hospitality. Of course, there are some things that which will translate very well. For example our knowledge graph where we build out a taxonomy by looking at title description and images that one will translate whenever there's title description and images so there's like commonality but then there is still sub vertical specific things which require like plain vanilla modeling doesn't work which require like multiple layers of so at the end of the day you really need like ensemble of modeling techniques to work in one cohesive fashion and then and optimizing for like very clear goals. Like do you want to increase the revenue per visitor, average order value, or CTR, so things like those. So that's the goal. Then which technique works best? And not just that, like you keep adding more techniques, right? And because you, you yeah. never know which works as well. So then running that in a very automated fashion where the be- the winner wins. So the business gets the best technique all the time. And then are constantly adapting on a daily basis. All of this is a lot more harder for like a typical brand who has not done like let's say AI or just doing rules, because any rules, if mm-hmm. the model is yeah. trained and not trained again, they will not be adapting to the changing yeah. world. So that's the key difference. between AI and Yeah, yeah.
1: Was yeah. You, you mentioned the concept about measuring performance of whether it's new campaigns and what it, or or certain images and things like that. When you what measurements are people using to identify that? Is it clicks? Is it how much you view something or how long you view something? How much you view similar things? How much of what goes into these measurements that people don't really, aren't really aware of?
0: Yeah, when, when you're a business owner who is selling something like creating a DTC brand, you're really more worried about not more on the higher order business metrics, which is like total, total mm-hmm. revenue, average order value, revenue per visitor. And then where in that yeah. funnel the money is getting, what is the funnel flow rate? Like we I have paid so much to get, so much in ads to get people on my site. How many of them are actually converting into real engagement to like real purchases to like repeat purchases, right? like the loyalty, which, which is the last part of the funnel. So those are the big, higher order, big business metrics we measure. Then the second higher order, which is like engagement, like CTR, click-through rate, all of that. Yeah. Just because you're getting more clicks doesn't mean people are purchasing more though. So that's you yeah. know
1: Yeah. I think is, is Adaptive able to kind of help with, I feel like a, a lot of e-commerce brands or direct-to-consumer brands, I hear the biggest challenge is is when they have a customer who has something in their cart, who wants to then check out. It's that process right in that finish line that is probably the most challenging for a lot of them to figure out. Do you see Adaptive as a healthy impact or I guess, understand and extract reasons why that doesn't occur? Yeah,
0: so our recommendation and audiences where we generate like the marketing email list every day, they both take that into account. For example, when someone is in the cart, our sellers can embed our recs. So we can also show like products you may also like, like accessories or some other offers in addition to that. So that increases the the cart value. And then second is uh, if someone didn't put purchase, that is a big hint for uh, our audiences. So we can just reach out in the email campaigns to them again. Like, hey, you were thinking about this. Uh, yeah. Have you, if you didn't like this one, have you considered these other products? So same rec, we put it in that email as well. And again, it's like yeah. one more touch point to bring them back into the purchase flow.
1: Yeah, yeah. In, in, in regards to, I feel like a lot of people, when they think about, from obviously from a brand perspective and a, com- a company perspective, you want to deliver exactly what your company or your, your consumer is looking for, excuse me. But from a consumer's perspective, sometimes you get a little bit skeptical or I guess wary that you're not necessarily uncovering or discovering new things that are branches of what you originally liked, then leading to something else. Does that ever come up in in a lot of these conversations? Are companies worried about that? That they're they're kind of gating consumers. Are we seeing a shift in that, I, or am I just the only skeptic that that thinks that way?
0: No, no, no. I for example, any company, I, if I'm if I have like let's say 2,000 successful products SKUs, and if I'm launching 10 new this month, how will okay. I get people to know about them? Because if I keep showing those 2,000 like most successful ones. Then, so there's like, there's constant, like you want mm-hmm. to have people discover these products as well. And that's where a bunch of our search algorithms actually weight new products a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. So that way. And then we also have like a categorization system where you mm-hmm. said, when you said browse, so you can browse like, oh, trunks, but then beachwear yeah. and then you narrow on with like contextual information. And then it gets ranked according to like your preferences. So the, those, uh-huh. all of those. All of those categories can can be auto-generated by ml so we don't even need like through our taxonomy and we don't even need like um, someone someone human to write all of those down
1: right right as as web three kind of comes into play with a lot of data just changing right people being able to opt in if they're in some kind of business or website or whatever and transacting at a marketplace how does that change, or d- does that impact adaptive in a positive way? I can only see it impacting it in a positive way because you only know more about the people you know more about, right? I mean, it, it, but how does it, I guess, grow in terms of this whole idea about brands now partnering together, using similar customers and things like that? How do you see Web three and that? That's probably way down the line, but do you think about that often? Oh yeah, let's
0: let's let's say like best case scenario, everybody's using adaptive, right? So. There is something to be said about, like, while anonymized, like having a consortium where all sellers are helping each other out. And then we can track the user journey, not just on my DTC, but across all of our DTC sites. And then we yeah. can give, like, very highly personalized experience throughout the entire consortium of sellers. So that's, like, very far out. But, yeah, that will be, like, very, very interesting once we reach scale. It's one of the yeah, levers we have to put. Definitely yeah. engage in
1: one thing I was thinking about with with this this relationship between brands and consumers, I'm he, I'm curious to hear your take. What, what's something that you've seen, or what why do you feel that I feel like brands kind of led the direction of a lot of taste, culture, things like that? But now you see almost the inverse, and they're almost fighting for attention. Is it is it just a mere fact that they're not leveraging the right tools, or is there some kind of more abstract decision making or considerations that people aren't making? What do you see as as Where the disconnect lies? Or I guess what's your opinion?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, the main reason is the entire consumer relationship has been typically managed by folks like Amazon and all, because they have invested so heavily, at least on the purchasing side, that all sellers... It's very hard for sellers to create their own DTC, like direct brand. Uh, and then on, on Amazon side, I don't think Amazon gives them the cons- customer relationship or whatnot. They have to go through the Amazon portal, which is by design. It's a good business model for Amazon. Yeah. That's why they don't really, like sellers don't really own the customers at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. That's the main reason, like a lot of traffic has shifted on, at least on the e side, a lot of traffic has shifted from like search results to actually just Amazon search. Uh, that has become one of the key factors that it's harder to build a brand. Yeah.
1: One obvious question I had to ask you is, how did you stay at Google for 14 years? That's a long time. (laughs) When you're having fun, you'll be surprised how fast time
0: flies. (laughs) So so let's say if I I get involved in like unsuccessful product, so that's like six to nine months and then I kill it. But those six to nine months are very intense and that flies by like very fast. Then there's like one month of thinking, whatnot, about like new problem. And then let's say on the successful product side, it's like two and a half to three years, sometimes four, until it becomes stable and I'm, I get called for like something else. But even those, like it's like the textbook startup cycle, right? Like the first one year, you're like, ah, barely working. Then second one year, you're like, okay, something is working. And then third, four, you scale it up, lock it down to Google scale. So all of this, while you're having really fun, it just goes by very fast. Uh, yeah
1: yeah yeah no that makes sense that makes sense oh, I, I always like to ask this question whether it's early in your career or now what books or people have impacted you the most yeah so i mean books wise there are like plenty of books like for
0: example uh, let's see which part. like for example like i have a dear founder book if you're like a startup founder so that's a good mm-hmm. one uh zero to one is amazing
1: mm-hmm. this will i guess, make I guess yeah I, I guess maybe not maybe I'll, maybe I'll rephrase the question. Maybe non-founder book. What's a, what's a book that impacts you as a founder, but isn't necessarily about business or startups?
0: Yeah. So one of, like, few of my favorites are like Think and Grow Rich, which is like how you should really build up the skill sets and things that are needed. Mm -hmm. Second is like grit. Like a lot of it is just, just gritting it out there (laughs) Uh, uh, and not quitting. That is like a very good, like, as a parent, that's a good book. As a self-development, that's a good book. As a startup founder, that's a good book. Like that's, As a yeah. student, that's a great book. Uh, uh, then there is, a, I mean, I have written on my blog, I've written like 42 rules to live life by. That's actually, that's my way of like living. Like that's that has been assembled for yeah. a bunch of books as well. Yeah, And then of course, I love autobiographies like the Sam Dalton, Walmart guy, yeah. So that, that, yeah. works, that biography is amazing. Benjamin Franklin's is amazing. Bram Lincoln, of course, yeah. yeah. Tesla. Yeah. Tesla is great. So those are great. Then of course they are like business like individuals who really give like a, like I derive my I derive my drive from like typically sports persons or like military folks. So there are like plenty of uh, yeah. like for example, start with why Simon Sinek. He has like mm-hmm. amazing. People. From yeah, military folks, like what drives them. Yeah. And, uh, like, the Navy SEALs, how they're training and how they watch out for each other. That's like amazing. Yeah. And again, just move uh, like life, not just like founders.
1: Yeah, I like the I like the mental models. That the that just works. Yeah.
0: yeah. One. Oh, I have like too many. Like in my office, I can start looking at the books that are there and there's like too many.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right now. Yeah, it says
0: this will make you smarter. Like this is a good book. Yeah.
1: Okay. All right. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll Rakesh, I know we're coming to the end of the show here and I always like to ask, is there any question I didn't ask you that I should have? Anything that we left on the table here today?
0: Oh, no, no. This was great. And also I didn't have much agenda. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah. There's always plenty of questions that can be asked, but that's like uh, (laughs) 39 years of life. It it can be summarized in nine minutes. But thanks a lot (laughs) for (laughs) hosting. It was great. Thank you.
1: I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much, Rakesh. So it's such a pleasure not only learning your early experience and kind of the trials of, of kind of startup within a bigger startup at Google, which is such an interesting experience, but also how you've created this incredible progress with machine learning and, and the modeling and really helping companies actually deliver to the consumers really what they're looking for. And I'm only really excited to see the brand expand and, and become bigger and, and impact me even when i under the hood. And, and maybe I don't even recognize it, but Last little bit is where can we find you? Where can we find that blog? Give us where your, your plug in your LinkedIn's, your medium. I don't know where, where we can go, your Substack. Where in so particular can we find you a fan? So my personal
0: blog is on yadavrakesh.com, but you can find my profile on adaptive.com slash about. And actually not just me, my whole company is filled with like interesting candidates and
1: it's filled with their profile. There. Amazing, Rakesh, such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on Behind Company Lines today. Thank you, thank you for hosting us. Thank you.